0: Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, good morning. Well done picking the second service today, the first service. I forgot to turn my microphone on, so I lived and I learned. And now here we all are. Um, my name is Kylie. I find myself married to the one who's usually up here. If you started showing up here any time in the last two years, we may not have met because I am typically over in the wear love space with our junior high and high school students. Um, a job that Brent and I actually had for five and a half years. We were youth pastors, and I didn't like teenagers at all when I was supposed to like them. And then I stepped into this role out of necessity, thinking that um, it would be like a dull headache that you just live with for a while until somebody else stepped in, and I actually really love it. I love it so much. It's so much fun being down there. Those kids are amazing. They were all here in first service. It was pretty noisy back in this left corner over here, Um, but they have some really profound and insightful things to say, and they surprise me each week. they do also say all the things that would leave you clutching your pearls and wanting to ground them if I were to list all of them off to you, you would be astounded but um, it's really fun. also um, we started to service this this week because like myself and many others, we have been um, down to one service and when you serve, you don't attend and so thank you to all of you who have been, pouring out all of the blood, sweat, and tears that it takes to, like, show up on a Sunday morning, give your heart away to all of these kiddos, and then um, not attend service. We're really, really thankful Now you can attend and serve or just do one or the other. And it's great. Um, If this is your first week, you picked a great one to come and check things out because we're starting a new um, series called Making More Than a Living. It's a series on work, and Brent wrote up a little synopsis um, that... I'm gonna to read to you right now about what this series, what you can expect from this series. Um, the pandemic reshaped how we do a lot of things, how we order takeout, how we change our plans, when we're feeling under the weather and in a big way, how we work, following in the way of Jesus has always had an influence on how we work and what we do to make a living. It's probably time for us to relook at the implications of the way of Jesus in light of this new framework. And so we'll be re-looking at at different pieces of how we work. Sorry, my ears are very small, and this is made for regular ears. So I'm sorry, I keep messing in with it. I will be done now. All right. Um, So this week, we're going to be looking at rethinking the handoff. And this sounds like a really strange place to start because it seems like it would make more sense at the end of the series. Like we talk about all of the things leading up to work and then how you work, and then when you're done working, the handoff. Um, But we really think it's a worthy spot to start. And so I'm gonna spend the next few minutes explaining to you why, and hopefully you value it in the end too. Um, At the beginning of this year, around New Year's, I had a friend who actually attends here come to me, and she's like, so have you been thinking about, like, what you're going to do if you're going to do, like, a Bible reading plan this year? And I was like, I I feel like I should say yes right now because I am, after all, married to a pastor. And um, have your have influence over your junior hires each Sunday morning. So I should say yes. Um, But I hadn't really given it a thought. So then um, she's like, hey, would you want to read through the Bible in a year with me? Here's the plan that I'm doing. I said yes. Um, And I'm the type of person, before you think too highly of me, it has, out of the 256 days that it's been going, it's been probably 250 of them that I've been like, okay, I'll check the box. I'm going to do this just so I can be proud of it. God literally only hates one thing and it's pride. So I have a lot of work to do, but I'm also one, like I love a good challenge. I will not break the chain. Like Jerry Seinfeld, if you're familiar at all, he like, if you put an X on the calendar, just don't break the chain. I will keep putting those X's on that calendar. So I've stuck with it, which is really exciting um, (laughs) for my pride. (laughs) Um, But also it's taken me to a lot of like chapters and even books that I haven't touched on in a long time. And one of them that I read just a few months ago popped into my mind when I was preparing for today. It's um, in Second Samuel chapter 7. It's about David, and it says, after the king, David, was settled in his palace the Lord had given him him rests from his enemies from all around. He said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar, which I think was really fancy. Um, at least he makes it sound really fancy. It was a really fancy house. Well, the ark of God remains in a tent. The place that you could go to meet with God was in like this little dinky tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are you the one to build a house for me to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling wherever I have moved with the Israelites. Did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, "Why have you not built me a house of cedar?" Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says: I look I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you as ruler over the people of Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. Skip to verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, this code for dead, um, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build the house for my name." Basically, David says, I have this great idea. I feel a little bit guilty about living in this fancy cedar mansion while you live in a tent. So let's do something to fix that. And then God comes to Nathan, his prophet, and says, tell him this. That's pretty cute, but I never actually asked for that. And you're not going to be the guy for this because, let's be real, your name is tied to a lot of people killing. And that's not super my thing. So, um, but eventually I will have a temple and it will be built by your son, who will also be a king, but like a far less murdery one. And that's a little bit more my vibe. He goes on later in the chapter to explain that even further down the line, he'll send someone even more reflective of his true heart. But let's pause right there. David's response caught my... Response caught my attention because I've never actually taken the time to notice his lack of offense. I think, honestly, probably because I haven't read this portion on my own since I was very young. When I was like, why would he even be offended that somebody else younger and cooler is going to come in and build it for him, anyways? But now, reading this as an adult at an age where I'm starting to see, like, oh, I'm not going to be here forever. And there are people that are starting to do things much better than I ever could. Um, it leaves me reading this feeling like, oh, good on you, David, for not just like shaking your fist and being offended at the fact that you thought of this idea, and then we're told, that is a great idea, and you're not going to be the guy to do it. Um, just a few chapters later, we actually read about the great lengths that David went to in order to support his son Solomon um, in building this temple. He equipped him well um, for what was now his thing to do hand off. Um, It was like him saying, hey, I know this time, I knew this time was coming, and I've been getting ready for it. You're going to be the rock star of this project. I did what I could while I could, but it's not peaking with me. There's more going on here, and now I'm going to put it into your fully capable hands, which is really, really tough. Um, I read this chapter, and around the same time, we were watching, well, we were catching up on the latest season of a show called Succession. I can't actually recommend it. (laughs) <laughs> in these walls. You guys, it's very terrible, so we're not going to talk about it, but if you're already watching about it, watching it, we can talk about it. Um, it's kind of one of those shows. Um, but basically, it's a dad who's worked far beyond what's reasonable, and he's trying to figure out how and when and to whom he hand off his multi-billion dollar empire. Um, his kids and many of his employees take turns ruining each other's lives in hopes that they are the standout and the one that he chooses to take over everything. Um, It's a complete hot diaper fire of drama, and I can't imagine any single way that they're going to make it turn out well, but unfortunately, it's a pretty accurate picture of how this sometimes goes when it's time to hand things over that we really, really have worked hard for and we love. And I just want to start things off by saying I am by no means an expert or even probably worthy of talking about this. I'm a student right along with anyone else. In fact, many of you could probably stand up here and have far better and more wise things to say about any of this. But um, I think we all have something to learn and we all have something that we are pouring ourselves into that we really love. And, and I know this is a series on work, but maybe you're in here and you're not like a super career-minded person. That's not the first place that your mind goes, but you are a teacher or a parent or just somebody doing life, maybe you're far beyond your career, and you're doing life with a new generation coming up and taking over things that you used to be handling. And, um, and that's hard. So uh, we look at these two starkly contrasting versions of ending one's time in a role, and we have to ask ourselves, what is causing things to go so differently in these two stories? And I think my man, Mikel Arteta, touches on this so well. Brent just recently roped me into really liking um, Premier League football. Uh, that is soccer for those of you in the States. Um, and Mikel Arteta is the manager of the Arsenal football, Arsenal football Club. I really, really like him. I feel like he's a really great coach, but I actually don't have a lot of experience with any other coaches because that's the team that brought cheers for and those are the games that we watch, but um, he had something really great to say about this. Um, when these are done differently, I think that this is part of what's going on. He sat in front of his team and he held up a light bulb and a lamp. And, um, and he was saying, we have some light bulbs in here and we have some lamps in here. And the problem is sometimes we get so stuck in our role. We get stuck in our single ability that we, we stay a light bulb and we stay a lamp. And we forget the gift that we are to each other. If we only connect, then that's when the magic happens. That's when the light comes on. That's when we're actually shining bright for everyone around us. Um, When we make an effort to connect, that's where the magic is. And it was really inspiring to all of his players, but I feel like there's so much for us to learn in this too. Um, I recently came across a quote that I really loved. It says, you tried to bury me, but you didn't know I was a seed. And I was probably feeling like kind of moody or Something that day quote popped up in a podcast I was listening to, and the author wasn't named, so I wrote it down just out of curiosity to look up later. I imagined it coming from the mouths of the oppressed, in which case it would hold such a beautiful and worthy weight, the idea of those who have suffered immensely um, bearing fruit of justice later on. Um, however, in researching it, I found its origin to be pretty different and interesting, but somewhat enlightening to what we're talking about today. It was originally a small couplet written by the young Greek poet Dinos Christianopoulos, um, and it was addressed to the Greek literary community that had strongly criticized his poetry at the time. They saw his potential, but aimed all of their energy and effort at highlighting all of his room and area left for growth. He took quick offense and spent many years shaking his poetic fist at them instead of growing his skill, which was actually the outcome that, Both parties had hoped for. On one end, these um, critics came down really hard on him. They didn't build him up first, they just let him let him know all the space that he had to grow, and then um, instead of allowing any of that to be constructive, he just kind of got angry and shut down. And isn't this what it looks like for us sometimes? Two sides making quick judgments about the other, assuming that they know their motives. On one end, we have somebody shaking their fist saying, You tried to bury me, but you didn't know I was a seed. And on the other side, we have somebody standing over them going, You idiot, I know you're a seed. I'm trying to plant you because the pressure's on. And I really want to look like a good gardener, but you're resisting. And then you just shot up fruitless and weak, and you're making us both look dumb. Um, and then we argue back and forth and live in this perpetual passive aggression until one side gives up or gives in. And we bypass the opportunity to connect, therefore neither side is shining the bright light that they were meant to shine. You're just a light bulb and a lamp at that point. And we've all seen this play out or possibly even been a part of it. Um, This is what happens when we exist disconnected from the ones that are going before us and coming up behind us. And this is why we think that there's value in starting a series about work with the end or the handoff in mind. Um, there's a chapter that many, if not all of you, have heard, likely at a wedding, if you haven't read it yourself, um, because it repeats the word love over and over again. I'm pretty sure that's why uh, they read it at weddings quite often, um, although it wasn't written to be a part of um, a group of people, necessarily, who are married. Um, it is fitting, because it lays out what it looks like to function in community with others in a new way. Um this is around 50 years after Jesus had shown up and revealed a new way of life that reflects the true heart of God, going back to what we read earlier in 2 Samuel 7 when um, Nathan told David God's actually going to send somebody else even later that reflects his true heart. We now know, again, that this is Jesus. Um, so 50 years later, he, well, after he, so he entrusts a handful of his followers to pass this wisdom along, to keep this a ripple effect going Take what you've learned and show it to others. Take what you've learned and show it to others. So 50 years later, there's a church in Corinth. They're now struggling with their roles. Who fits where? But isn't my role a little bit more important than this guy's? Do we actually need him? I'm going to go ahead and stick here. Nobody needs to replace me. That kind of stuff. It all sounds very familiar. We face this. We face this in many areas. Um, So Paul writes a letter to them. We know it is First 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 13, he writes, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but do not love, I'm nothing but a creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And this was written to a church, so I know that there are a lot of spiritual tie-ins and examples, but I think it it says just as much. Like, I've built up this empire. I've poured all of my blood, sweat, and tears into this thing that I really love and I really value and care about whether it's work or my family or um, or ministry within a church. And so we can sit here and we can say, okay, Paul, that sounds very romantic. Yes, let it all boil down to love, but what does that actually mean? And then it's so nice of him, he puts handles on it for us. Um, in verse 4, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Um, and we've heard this again, time and time again, within the context of marriage. But sometimes we forget the audience that he's actually written to, which we can all in this room probably identify with a little bit more than than we think. Um, so, what does this look like for us today as we try to begin to begin a series about work with the end in mind? Um, there are <laughs> Two main categories that I want you to decide um, which one you fall into today. I am a preschool teacher at Heart, and I had toyed around with a couple of, like, categories to uh, mentored and mentors and mentees, which is dumb, Um, light bulb and lamp, which is also kind of dumb, and then Brent's like, can you think of, like, some sort of character to tie it to? And then the, like, preschool Heart lit up, and I was like, yes, I can think of storybook characters. So... Um the two categories are one the owl the wise old owl you fall into this category if you've been around for a while you are super comfortable in your role you don't stress out about day-to-day things anymore um you've got the handbook memorized you um feel pretty confident in what you're doing you've done it well you um just kind of slide through um and feel like you you kind of know what what's going on? And then the other category is the the, the hyper squirrel. You little squirrels, uh, the energetic, fire-aim-ready, nervous, fidgety, fickle, precious, energetic squirrels. Um, and I think that sometimes we're, we're in both camps, right? My friend Aubrey was saying in between services, like, isn't there something in the middle? And I'm sure there is. I couldn't think of one. Go ahead and create your own middle if you'd like. But we will have Seasons where we are both an owl in some areas and a squirrel in others, and and that's okay. But right now, I want you to think about where you land most often, and we'll work from there. Um, I think that for the owls in the room, I could boil it down to three. I could boil the reason that we resist handing things over at the right time or in the right manner to three things. Those being one, they slow us down. Those squirrels. Two, we don't trust them. And three, we don't see the need. We know what we're doing. We don't need any help. We're fine moving forward without it. Um, And then for the squirrels, the three reasons that we resist being teachable. Surprise, it's the same three things. One, those owls, they slow us down. Two, we don't trust them. And three, we don't really see the need. They've done their work. Let's boot them out, slide in where we can help. Um, So as we look at these three things, I think that the first thing that Paul writes in those letters about love has a lot, to offer us, Um, what does love require of us in this context of what we're looking at in the series? Number one, love is patient. So for you owls in the room, here's what love being patient looks like for you. It requires you to move at someone else's pace, which is so difficult, especially when you've been doing something for a long time and are very efficient. It's hard to have somebody come in and ask you questions about why you do every little thing and then ask you those same questions over and over and over again. And for us in this space, love being patient looks like answering that question calmly each time. It looks like slowing down enough to really let them see why you're doing what you're doing. If we move quickly and they can't keep up, the reality is, is that we are only gaining separation. And this reminded me of a story um, from this past November when we took all of our kids to Disney World. We thought it would just be the best time of, like, connecting with them. There were going to be fireworks, like literal fireworks, and then, like, the fireworks that happened in our heart when we saw their faces just lighting up over, I don't know, parades and rides and music and all the things that they love, um and I remember specifically racing through Animal Kingdom one time we were trying to make it to this like Pandora ride. It's really fantastic. it's the most unbelievable um ride, and we were trying to get there, and I look back behind me and I see Jovi, she's our middle daughter, and Jovi moves at this she almost moves backwards. It's like unbelievable how slow. This girl moves, and there is no speeding her up. And um, and so she has this sweet way, and Jovi's just wiping these big tears. She's crying so big, and she wipes it with her whole arm, which just makes it even sadder somehow. And I look back, and I remember kind of laughing at myself, thinking, this whole thing was for her. We didn't come here for, for us to get where we needed to go on time. We came here because we wanted this time of connection with her, and yet, here I am Rushing us through this space, and she just she needs us to slow down, and that's what what love being patient looks like for us owls. Sometimes, if we get too far ahead, unfortunately, um, at some point, it's too late to turn back around. They're they're gone. They've thrown in the towel. They've washed their hands of it, and there's been too much separation, and we're gone. And um, and that's that's what can take place if we don't make. Love in the way of patience the a priority. If you're a squirrel in the space, here's what patience is going to look like for you in the handoff. You're probably going to know a more efficient way of doing things. And patience is going to look like you being willing to listen even when you don't want to. If there's A, B, and C, and you know how to get straight to C without having to do A and B, it's going to be holding that to yourself until you fully listen and fully learn to their process and why they do the things the way that they do. They have their reasons. Sometimes it's just routine. It's what they've done. They haven't looked at the thought of doing it a different way and if that makes any sense. But sometimes it's trial and error that you haven't experienced, that they walked that road for you. Um, I've seen a lot of dead squirrels on the side of the road, tons of them. <laughs> I've never seen a dead owl on the side of the road, right? Like there are things, they know They know what they're doing and um, that's a gift to us. Um, patience for you also looks like giving them grace when they hold on to things longer than you think they should. Um, recognize what you've poured what they've poured into and have patience as they loosen their grip. And this is especially hard for me, like in the area of a mom. That's tough. It's so tough in parenting, knowing that there are gonna be things that eventually I have to let go to. and it's probably the time. And I'm letting go slowly, more slowly than they would like me to. And it's hard. Um, but squirrels, grace and that, patience in that is, is something that you can offer. And that is a way of loving well. Um, number two, love is kind. For an owl in this, it looks like constantly being on the lookout for ways to speak life to those under you. You're going to be so tired of compliments. You're going to feel like you're being petty. But I promise you, you are not. I promise your words hold more weight than you think they do. And when we speak it, we will often begin to see it and believe it about them and in them. Um, Make it your goal to ruthlessly eliminate humiliation from happening in your presence. Humiliation, I'm sorry. Um, It may, like, stepping in and stopping that may leave your reputation at risk, but I promise that's always a worthy cost. It's always a a price that is worth paying to protect somebody from being humiliated in your presence. That is a way of letting love be kind in this. Um, And when we do both of these things, when we speak life into them, and when we shield them from humiliation, we are lending them our strength in a world that will be very quick to remind them of their weaknesses. Sometimes they haven't built up enough strength yet and they need to borrow some so that the world that throws arrows at them at all of their weaknesses doesn't defeat them. Um, And when discipline is necessary, because it will be sometimes, we can't always just be like, you're great, everything's totally fine, that was a great choice, that's awesome, it's not always going to be like this. Sometimes discipline will be necessary and even in that we can side with them. It looks like saying, oh, man, I really, really hate that we are facing this. I see you as a responsible person, and I'm bummed that irresponsibility won out in this scenario. That stinks. I see it in you. I think it's going to get better. We'll move forward from here. Um, that's what love looking looks like when it is kind. For a squirrel, um, love being kind is constantly being on the lookout for ways to be grateful, recognizing the effort and energy and hours and years that they've poured in and making sure you thank them for it and thank them for it often. Um, if they another way that you can be kind is if there's a way that they can help you let them and you see it as them caring um, or being considerate instead of them needing control because usually that's really the place that it's coming from. Um, and another third way that you can let love be kind is you can honor them. Even when you've seen the ugly underbelly of some of the things that come along with the position that they're in, and I trust that all of us in the room know um, the boundary of when that is not safe. Um, I'm not saying that at all, um, but sometimes there's just like a little bit like they wouldn't they wouldn't love this dirt being thrown on them, so don't throw it on them. Um, that is love being kind, as a squirrel. Um, and the last number three, the third thing that Paul says love is is it. It is not envious or boastful, is not proud. This is a really big deal in the area of work. Um, And this is the way that we we execute this is the same for both owls and the squirrels. Um, When we believe that things peak with us, when we think that we are the greatest things we'll get, we lose our influence and we may later end up looking like fools, unfortunately. this is the difference between the way of Jesus and the way of succession, as I was mentioning earlier. Um, it just starts piling in on you and you think you're the one that needs to fix it and then you can't and it looks It's very rickety. Um, if we try to always remember um, that things will come to a halt when we peak, we start out these careers, we step into our work life or, I mean, any area that we mentioned before. And we hope for a ripple effect. Like ideally, there's this long-lasting influence that we will have. But then something happens along the line near the end where we think that things are peaking with us and we stiffen up. And a ripple effect can't happen when we stiffen up. Um, And so what love, being not envious and not boastful and not proud, looks like for all of us is standing in awe when someone else comes along and does it better than us. That's terribly difficult. That is so hard, but that is the way of love. Um, And then we can lean our weight into that new energy and continue the ripple effect from there, the constant passing along of here's, I did what I could while I could, and now here you go, and now here you go, and here you go, and we can learn from each other and what a healthy way of passing things on looks like. but this gets even more difficult. This is all the ideal version. This gets even more difficult when we don't see things eye to eye. There will be times when Sly, look look, I got him, I think. Um, and here's where Paul actually touches on that through the rest of the chapter. He goes on in verse 8. It says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now... I know in part then I shall f- know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love. This is another one that is terrifying as a parent. I feel like I I feel like I know what's best. I feel like I know what is good. And and we do we know part of it. But knowing knowing the full picture doesn't come until later. And but hold on to these things faith hope and love. And here's the kicker, the greatest one has to be love. If the three are butting heads in the area of handing over a role or in parenting our kids or from moving from one generation to the next, if we're butting heads and only one can slip through, it has to be love. Um, And this is anything but easy, but it is the road to connection. Which is followed by the influence, which allows things to be passed on over and over and over. And I think all of this is helpful, even if you're not fully bought into Christianity, if you're here and you're still not sure that you buy the whole Jesus thing. Um, I think that there's still stuff that we can glean from all of this, and you can walk away feeling like a better leader or feel more fulfilled in what you're passing on. But I think that if you call yourself, A Christian, this goes a step further. This way of love reminds us that we are not the threatened seeds or the crappy gardener like what we talked about earlier. You tried to bury me, but you didn't know I was a seed. Well, I'm trying to look like a good gardener, so get down there and let me bury you. Um, This is when we love each other in this way, and we are able to connect in a way that shines the light on the fact that we are all seeds we're all equally full of potential, sown by the one who knows us best, into a space where there's room for each new sprout. Um, none of us is the center of everything, but as we are welcome, or, but we are a welcome and beautiful addition to something much bigger than any of us. And while we're here, we can offer shade when necessary. We can train our branches to allow sun when the time is right. We can bind our roots together and lend each other strength, and when we bear fruit in our season, we can then celebrate others when they do the same. Knowing that any beauty we work together to create points to a worthy gardener who saw it all in us in the first place, when we were all those little bitty seeds, he saw the great potential of us working together and pointing to him. Um... Again, I have one more thing to say. This is all the ideal version. This is this is assuming you have somebody who's you have the lamp that's willing to let you attach the light bulb, or the light bulb that is willing to come on over and attach to you. Um, but sometimes that won't be the case. Some of you work in a space where you know that that is just not going to be the case. I'm I'm trying to work together, and we just can't. And here is what I have to say to you. I feel like um, I there's a poem by Mother Teresa that I printed and put on our fridge years ago that I thought I was putting up there for my kids. But the more, the longer that it's up there, the more I'm realizing it. I have definitely learned more from it than they probably ever had. It speaks to us pretty constantly. So I thought it might be helpful for you, too. It's called Anyway by Mother Teresa. It says, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish or (laughs) tilt. I couldn't say this word for service either. Ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies, but succeed anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build it anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous, but be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow, but do good anyway. Give the world your best that you have, and it may never be enough. Give it the best anyway. You see in the final analysis, it was never between you and them. Or it was between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. Um, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for um, this chance to pause and take a look at our life, whether it be our career or the way we parent or the way that we just relate to others in general. Um, I pray that you would remind us the gift that we are to each other, that you've given us community to really make each other shine bright. And I pray that as we dive into several more weeks of looking at what um, it means to work through the lens of your way, um, that we would constantly keep zoomed out on the bigger picture, that we would remember um, what it all truly points to anyway. We pray all this in your name. Amen thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, EastLakeTriCities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.